0: Last summer, one of my good friends, his name's Kevin Queen, and he is the senior pastor at Cross Point, which is like two miles away from here. He and I have been really good friends for years, and he, he called me up and he said, hey, do you wanna take a revival road trip? And uh, which is like the nerdiest, like, <laughs> most pastor thing ever. I'm like, well, it depends on like where this road trip is to, how far it is, you know? And he and I love to just talk about revival and think about revival, you know, these, these moments where, God has shown up in power, like just undeniable power in human history where God in a day does what couldn't be accomplished in a generation. He shows up and moves hearts and melts hearts and changes lives. And so he said, yeah, hey, he said, I want to take this road trip up to Cane Ridge, Kentucky, which is just a few hours away from here. And I know the story of Cane Ridge uh, really well. And uh, maybe you're familiar with that story. Maybe you're not. But I said, yeah, man. And so he and I jumped in the car uh, last August. We, We drove up there. And the story of Cane Ridge is is pretty amazing if you don't know it. And so, in in August of 1801, so 221 years ago, in August of 1801, there was this small little church in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. It was a moment in our nation's history where people were running away from God, um, turning away from the Lord, Um, rebellion was happening. It was a, a moment where our nation was in this huge kind of downturn of moral and spiritual decline. And there's this small little church in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, this Presbyterian church that met in this one little log room uh, or, or log cabin, one room, church. And they had this preacher, about 100 people met at this church in the middle of nowhere. And so for about a year, they just started praying, hey, God, we recognize that what's happening in our nation won't be fixed by politics. It won't be fixed by better discipline. It won't be fixed by us learning how to manage our morality. God, what's happening in our nation will only be changed if you yourself visit this place, show up, move amongst us. And so there was this cry of the heart, this group of people, God, would you show up in our midst? And so this small little church in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, in this log cabin, one-room church, they show up on Saturday nights, and they pray all night for a move of God, and then they try to keep themselves awake the next day as the preacher would stand up and do his best to, to preach and pray revival into their midst, and this went on for a year, and they sent out this This invitation across Kentucky, if you know the story of Cane Ridge, you know, this is 221 years ago. So, uh, no social media, no internet, no highways, no conveniences of our day. Uh, They they sent out word across Kentucky hey, we're going to have a moment where we gather and we just, we're going to pray for God to move. We have no way of knowing what, what it is that they expected to show up, how many people they expected to show up, 100 people in the middle of nowhere. But on August 6th, 1801, More than 20,000 people show up. This little one-room church in the middle of nowhere and There was worship, and there was prayer, and there was preaching, but nobody remembers what happened at Cain Ridge because of the worship or the prayer or the preaching. What happened is God showed up undeniably in their midst, and you can go back and you can read the historical accounts of this. It's unbelievable. Uh, Newspaper writers who did not believe in Jesus, did not believe in the Spirit of God, were astounded at what they were witnessing in this field in the middle of nowhere. Tens of thousands of people laid out literally on their backs under the power and the presence of God for seven straight days worshiping crying out to god giving their hearts to jesus speaking in tongues prophesying something like oh that's weird i'm just telling you shaking in the power in the presence of god and nobody showed up in that moment and went man i really kind of like this church in the middle of nowhere you know preaching's great worship's great people went man god is here god is here Kevin and I drove up there last summer and we're sitting in that same little one-room church and you can go visit it. And I thought, man, it's so inconvenient to get there. And I was sitting in that room and I thought, man, for seven straight days, day and night, People laid in this field without eating. Uh, They'd eat some, they'd drink some, without going to hotels, no place to stay, no fast food. They laid in this field and they cried out to God. And I was sitting in this little log cabin of a church going, man, can you imagine? I just want you to think for a moment. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a community of people that actually wanted Jesus that much? They like wanted them that much. They went, man. Hey, we want you. We want you more than convenience. We want you more than comfort. We want you more than a paycheck. We want. I mean, this was a day I'm like, how hard would it have been to get there 221 years ago? Like, you're not hopping in your Tesla and like cruising into the parking spot that you reserved on an app. I mean, you're in a horse and buggy through the woods, like no food. And I go, how hungry for God did that group of people have to be? It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the worship. It wasn't the stress. It wasn't the evangelism. There was an undeniable longing for Jesus himself. If you look at every revival in human history, you'll find prayer, you'll find worship, you'll find preaching, you'll find a fervor for holiness in the lost, but at the baseline of all of it is you will find a group of people who wanted God more than anything else. And I was sitting there going, man, God, what would that be like? I've had glimpses of that in my life. I've told some of these stories before. Some of you that have been with us a long time are like, man, I'm sick of these stories. I'm just telling you these moments where we tasted little bits of heaven. I remember years ago, Will and I, our worship pastor, he and I were in Damo, India, central India, for a week, and we were working with church leaders, and there was this conference there that I was teaching at, and it was unbelievable. We, we show up in the middle of nowhere, India. And, and I kid you not, thousands of people are showing up, riding trains, for 10, 12 hours at a pop and they get to the place where the conference is happening and I'm looking around I'm going, man, there's no hotels, there's no cabins, there's no running water. It's like, like, where are all these people gonna go? And for the next three or four days, people literally just sleeping out in fields. Hungry, hungry to be touched by God. And I'm going, man. Can you imagine that? Because my my experience is American Christianity and American conferences where people show up and we entertain them and we give them swag and it's all the best speakers and it's all. And you still can't keep their. You still can't keep our attention. And I remember like just being out in that space in that field, going, man. These people want Jesus as much as us Americans like Bonnaroo. Just in a field. God, we want you, we don't, we don't care about anything else. We want you. Think about a moment 10 years ago, Sydney and I were on a cruise with my in-laws and they'd taken us on this Alaskan cruise, it was amazing. And a couple of days into that cruise, the guy Alvin, who was he was kind of like serving us and taking care of our cabin where we were staying, just an amazing guy that worked on the boat. He found out I was a pastor and. And he said, hey, you're a pastor and we we, we have a, a church that meets here on the boat. Would you like to preach at our church this week? And I thought, bro, I don't know if there's anything I would rather to do less than that. Like, I don't know, you know what a vacation is? <laughs> but I, I, I'm from the south and so I lied to him and I said, sure, I'd love to. And <laughs> I said, I said, when's when's your church service? And he said it's 11 o'clock on Thursday night. And I'm like, oh, that's a terrible time. Don't you know that's not a great time for church? And And so I'm like, why 11 o'clock? And he said, because it's for all the workers on the ship and we work 12 to 15 hour days and it's when we all get off and we have a few hours. And he goes, we meet on Tuesday nights and on Thursday nights at 11 o'clock and we'd love for you to come preach. And I've told this story before, but I show up, he comes and gets me. We go down to the bottom of the ship and there's like 115 people in the room from 50 different nations, literally, workers from all over the world, they're in this room. I'm convinced the band had never even touched a guitar before just, I mean, nothing about it would just appeal to, to your senses, your fleshliness as a person. But I'm just telling you, I was in that room and there was this hunger, there was this longing, there was this desire for God that just was like, man, Lord, I want that. I want that. I preached this sermon that I was unprepared to preach, wasn't very good, I get done, they said, can you give us another one? I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like midnight, Like we want another one? I'm like, is it because it was bad or because it was that good? Like, like, and it's like, no, we just, we just want more. Like, we want to take advantage of being together. And so we, we get into the scriptures again, and then we take an hour in communion, and we're wrapping up at like two in the morning. And I went, man, I just want you to just picture with me for a moment what it would be like to be a part, not just in a small pocket... But to be a part of a large community who goes, man, we're we're bound together not by our politics or our part of town or our stage in life or the color of our skin or a few kind of core beliefs that we find on a website together. No, we have come together because there is this longing, this desire, this hunger in us for God himself. And we don't care what the worship's like or the teaching is like. We don't care if the kids' classes are convenient. We don't care what the parking was like. We showed up because there was this hunger for God. We want God. We want God. I'm just telling you there's 100 places in this city where you'll find better worship, better teaching, better kids' classes, better all these things. And I go, God, as we, we come into this new season on the other side of two really weird years of COVID and the transition this summer, and there's all this like, what are we gonna be? What are we gonna? It's like, God, may we be a group of people who want Jesus more than we want anything else. More than comfort, more than good families, more than a breakthrough in our finances, more than any of that stuff. I'm, all that stuff's great. I'm just going, may we be a group of people who, when God looks at us, he goes, that group of people, they're all jacked up, so dysfunctional, but man, they want me. They love me. They're crazy about me. I go, That's what we're praying God would stir up. Because whether it was at Cane Ridge 221 years ago or in a boat outside of the coast of Alaska or in the middle of nowhere, central India, this common denominator that you see showing up everywhere is this, God shows up wherever he's wanted. He shows up where he's wanted. And I just wanna really simply ask us this morning, do you want Jesus? Like actually, do you want him more than anything else? because it is really hard in our moment, in our day and time, in this city, to actually long for Jesus like that. You know, all summer we've been looking at just the character, the personality of Jesus, his playfulness, his humor, his strength, his forgiveness, his redemptive personality, his life, his joy, his peace, and Here's what I'm convinced of, is everything we've talked about this summer, you could take every one of those things and you could go to a random stranger on the street who doesn't know anything about Jesus and to go, man, do you want a life filled with unshakable peace? Every normal person in the city is like, yes, I want that, check the box. Man, Do you want joy, do you want hope, do you want strength, do you want turnaround? Like, I don't know anybody in the city that doesn't want the blessings of Jesus. The question is, do we want Jesus? And there's a difference between wanting the blessings and wanting the blesser, does that make sense? Longing for Jesus, the man himself, (laughs) and not just what it is that he brings to the table. I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend who was pretty wealthy and he had all these fun toys and like everybody wanted to hang out at his house because he had all the fun toys. I remember one time at his birthday party, I was one of the only ones that he invited over and we're like, hey, we know you have a whole lot more friends than this. And he said, he said, yeah, he said, but I just wanted to invite the ones that I knew liked me. Didn't They weren't just here for my stuff. And I'm like, God, stir that in us. That we'd be a people that long for him that way. I love this moment in Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at it this morning, starting verse 51. If you're here at the beginning of the summer when we started this teaching series. We started with a really random story, so I thought it'd be appropriate to end the teaching series with a really random story. And there's so much we could look at this morning in these five or six verses, but we're going to hone in on, on just this one big reality. What does it mean to be a people that want Jesus? But I love, I love the way that Jesus handles himself here. Look at verse 51. It says, as the, t- as the time approached, For Jesus to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem or set out for Jerusalem. So much we could talk about, I just wanna just, I want you to note this. It says, as the time approached, Jesus Jesus in his birth, Jesus in his hiddenness, Jesus in his ministry, Jesus in his teaching, Jesus in his death, Jesus in his resurrection, and Jesus in his return is not operating casually. He is operating off of heaven's prophetic timetable. There's an appointed time, there's a moment And Jesus understood the timetable of heaven, and I love this, it says, as the time approached, he understood that things were not just moving casually, things were moving intentionally towards the plans and the purposes of God, and it says his resoluteness, like his actions, his life, were lined up with the timetable of heaven. So much we could talk about there, but I'm gonna try to stay disciplined. Verse 52, it says, so as he moved to Jerusalem, He sent messengers on ahead of him who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for his arrival. I love this. You know, Amos 3, verse 6, 7, and 8 says that God surely does nothing in the earth without first speaking through his servants, the prophets, that that God is not in the habit of trying to surprise us when it comes to the plans, the purposes, and the ways of God. That when Jesus was arriving, he didn't just, God didn't just spring it up on humanity. He sends John the Baptist to prepare the way so they could receive what Jesus is doing. I believe this is a part of our mandate as followers of Jesus right now is to prepare the way for the return of the Lord, to prepare hearts for the return of the Lord, that Jesus, he he loves to do this. He says, hey, I'm coming, but I'm sending people in front of me so those who don't yet know me will be ready to receive me. And so he's operating off this timetable. He sends the messengers ahead of him, verse 53. But the people there, what? Look at this. The people there did not welcome Jesus. Did not welcome Jesus because he was heading for Jerusalem. We'll come back and we'll dig into this. Verse 54. Verse 54 to me is hilarious. And it's just crazy. Look at this. And then the disciples, James and John, saw this, that he had gotten rejected. And they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? I don't know if you're supposed to laugh at that. Like, um, I mean, misguided, presumptuous, for sure sinful. So before you write me up in a blog or something sinful, like um, not in line with the heart of God. But I mean, just think about this. These, these two ordinary guys, they see this and they're like, hey, Jesus, you want to just shoot fire out of, out of the heavens? I just imagine Jesus like, what? <laughs> what makes you think you can do that? I, I wish Jesus said, sure, try it, try it, go for it. He's like, that's not my heart. That's not in your capability. That's not in the job description. Verse 55, but Jesus turned and he rebuked them. Verse 56, and then he and his disciples, they what? They went to another village. And this this is the thing that just, man, this is the thing that just struck me is that Jesus, in all of his goodness, his playfulness, his power, his strength, his sense of humor, his his forgiveness, his joy, his life, his peace, his hope, everything we've talked about this week, what does Jesus do with all of that goodness? He handles his goodness like a gentleman and he forces it on no one. And he shows up wherever he's wanted. (laughs) And he had this desire, man, I want to go be in this village, stay in this village, preach with this village, heal in this village, comfort this village, strengthen this village. But this village goes, ah, we, we don't want you Jesus. because goes, okay. And so he goes where he's wanted. And I just, I had this weight on me this week as I was reading this passage going, hey, Lord, when, when you look out over your people in the city of Nashville and you look at Ethos Church, what do you see? And let's get more specific. When you look down at the Clayton home, what do you see? Do you find a house? Do you find a man who is hungry and longing, not just for the blessings, but the blesser? Because God loves to show up in power and presence. But man, he shows up where he's wanted. And I go, man, God, I don't know if I want you like that. I want to want you that way. But man, help me. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. Like, I'm just curious, how many of us are just like in that spot where we go, man, yeah, we love Jesus, but there's all these other things we also want. And I'm just telling you guys, our weird Nashvilleian culture, we have normalized half-heartedness towards Jesus. We've normalized it. And Jesus goes, no, hey, I just, I just want to go where they want me. <laughs> you see this all throughout the, the scriptures. You see this when a guy named Matthew, a tax collector Comes to his senses, he realizes who Jesus is. He's like, Jesus, I want you in my house. Jesus is like, then I want to be there. Zacchaeus is like, hey, man, I want you. Jesus is like, then I want to be there. A Pharisee in Luke chapter seven is like, hey, I want you to come to my house. Jesus is like, I want to be there. Martha and Mary are like, stay in our place. Jesus is like, I want to be there. There is this longing in Jesus to be wherever he's wanted. And because he's a gentleman, he forces himself on no one. You see the inverse of this in the scriptures as well. Mark chapter five, Jesus heals the demon-possessed man. He wants to do much more in the region, but the people are terrified by the power of God, so they show up to Jesus. And maybe you remember Mark chapter five, verse 17, they plead with Jesus to leave their region. And what does Jesus do? He obliges them. He's like, you don't want me not gonna stay. Mark chapter six, he shows up in his hometown. They're offended by his claims. He goes, you don't want me, not gonna stay. Revelation chapter three, the lukewarm church in Laodicea. Do you remember what Jesus says? He shows up and he goes, man, I long to be with you. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever hears me, he goes, I I just wanna welcome you in. (laughs) I want you to welcome me in. But Jesus doesn't kick down the door. He doesn't barge. He doesn't go, hey, guys, this is for your own good. I'm gonna force my goodness upon you. I'm gonna force my ways upon you. He goes, I want to be wherever I am wanted. And the question for us is, do we want him? And it's so easy to think about it like in the macro to go, man, I wonder if this group of people wants him. I wonder if my family wants him. I wonder if my friend group wants him. I wonder if the people in my dorm want him. No, the question, like, do you Like, really, like, do you want Jesus? I'm not asking if you want the blessings. I'm asking if you want the blesser. That moment in John chapter six where Jesus has just fed the multitudes and the people have just feasted on the goodness of his blessings and they're like, hey, give us another sign. They're like, hey, monkey, jump, do something. They're like, we want a miracle. We want you to entertain us. And do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter six? Jesus goes, hey, you want bread, but you don't want me the bread of life. <laughs> and he lets them go, and he goes, I'm not gonna chase you down. And then he turns to his disciples, and he goes, hey, what are you in this for? <laughs> and go, Jesus, we want you. We want you. And I go, man, who do we wanna become in this next season as we come out of the weirdness of COVID and we navigate this transition and we think about all these things, guys, it's, it's not about the worship and the teaching and the kids' ministry and the ministry in the city. Like, guys, all those things are fine. What we're praying for is a heavenly outpouring of spiritual desire so that above anything and anyone else, we as a group of people go, man, we want Jesus. We long for Jesus. We need Jesus. We're not there yet. But man, we, we, we want to want you that way. <laughs> My in-laws, they're amazing. They live out about an hour outside of Nashville in this small little uh, kind of like rural community outside of Murfreesboro called Las Casas. And not far from their house is an amazing couple that's become dear friends of ours in their early 80s and they have this barn on their property and in this barn on their property, they'll host these worship nights and these prayer nights and people come and share testimonies and folks will show up from all over, almost like Cane Ridge, you know, not quite the numbers, but man, the same heart is there and people will show up in this little barn and I asked my in-laws about it. They went to one of these worship nights and I'm like, tell me about it. And my mother-in-law, she starts talking, oh man, this guy's sharing this testimony and there's this thing of worship. And then she just stopped and paused and I won't forget this anytime soon. She goes, okay, here's how i describe what happened in the barn. She said, all of the people in that barn just really, really like God. I went, man, that's it. That's it. (laughs) They just really like God. They just really want God. And he has this way of just showing up wherever he's wanted. And I go, can you imagine what it'd be like? Or 10 years from now, the description of what God does in our city reverberates out of a place like this, and it had nothing to do with preaching, worship programs, ministry strategy. It was like, no, there was just an ordinary group of people who literally wanted Jesus more than they wanted anything or anyone else. They didn't want the blessings, they wanted the blesser. (laughs) And I go, guys, for us to become that kind of community, it literally takes a work of God. <laughs> you know, it's not, there's, there's no good ending to a sermon like this. It's not like, okay, who wants Jesus? Now let's prove it suddenly. It's, it's, this, it's this going low. It's this, it's this humbling. It is this recognition that, hey, God, in order for us to be that kind of community, we need you to do what only you can do. And I believe that this will be the mark of Jesus's true church in the moment in which he returns in the future one day. The mark of Jesus's true church will not be excellent, put together worship and preaching and programs and strategy, although there's nothing wrong with that. The mark of Jesus's mature church in the day that Jesus sets his feet back on the earth again will be a church that from their heart is crying out, Jesus, we literally just want you. It's the bridal cry of the mature church. I love that moment in Revelation 22, verse 17. It says the Holy Spirit and the bride, which is a metaphor for the church, the Holy Spirit and the bride from their gut, just go, Jesus, come. It's a church that has rejected the notion that you can have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, half your heart to the comforts of this age, half your heart to the ways of Jesus. No, it's, it is a church that goes, hey, hey, Jesus, we literally just want you. And man, to become that kind of people. I'm not, if, if none of you are here, this is the same sermon I would literally preach to myself today. Some of you are like, this guy's a tool. Like, why is he yelling at us? And it's like, he doesn't even know me. I'm like, if I was the only person in this church, this would be the word of the Lord to me this morning. God, stir me. Disrupt any peace that I have made with my own lukewarmness. Dislodge any comfort that we have with the world. Disrupt any place where we have normalized half heartedness. I mean, just imagine if you came over to my house this week for dinner. You're all invited. We'd love to have you Tuesday night. I hope you're cooking. Sydney's like, I hope you're cooking. Um, if I cook, nobody will come. Um, just imagine you all coming to my house and you're hanging out at our house on Tuesday night and you're sit- sitting there in our home and You're like, hey, tell us about your relationship with Sydney, And it's like, yeah, you know, kind of like each other. It's like, are you guys going to work on that? (laughs) (laughs) Nah. We've really found this beautiful way to just function as non-romantic, tolerating roommates. And I know that some of your situations and... In marriage, that's a very real thing that happens. I'm not making light of that. I go, but when you recognize it, nobody wants to stay there. When you recognize it, you go, hey, we've got to get over that. And I think sometimes there's this thing that happens in a place like Nashville where we, we just go, yeah, I go to church a couple times a month, kind of connected with other Christians, kind of doing this, kind of doing this, kind of this, And and I kind of like Jesus, I'm okay with it. And I know this is uncomfortable. I just go, God has more for us. And he shows up. He shows up wherever he is wanted. You know, there's some of you here this morning and in your heart, you go, man, I really want him. And I just want to say, man, praise God. Do not dial it down. Don't hide it. Don't put that fire under a basket. Man, be a torch. Burn bright. Stir it up. Not just in our church, you know, on your campus, in your neighborhood, in your dorm room, in your home, in your marriage. Man, if you're burning bright for Jesus and your spouse isn't, man, you, that, that's your first mission field right there. If you're burning hot for Jesus and your roommates aren't, that's your mission field. If you're burning hot for Jesus and your family is complacent and just cultural Christians, that's your mission field. Some of you are on fire and I go, do not lower your brightness, stir up the hunger in others. But there's some of you here this morning and you're going, man, that's not where I'm at. And I don't know that I I want him like that, but man, I want to want him like that. I need some help. And I just want to very quickly give you a couple of things. What do you do practically if this morning you're going, I don't know that I want Jesus that way? This isn't an exhaustive list. I'm just going to give you a few things real fast, okay? Number one, it starts with you acknowledging your spiritual poverty. No more saving face. No more playing games. I love Jesus, he says blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those that have the ability to acknowledge that you keep coming to Jesus with half your heart. And so for some of you this morning, your first thing is just to hit your knees and to go, man, Jesus, I don't want you the way that I want you. It's like that moment in a marriage where you have the courage to say, hey, I know we're not firing on all cylinders like we both want to, let's talk about it. You have to acknowledge it, right? And so if you're not, man, it starts in this place of acknowledging, acknowledging. Second thing is then just asking that Jesus would give you a hunger for himself. I've told this story so many times. I remember in my early 20s, I was stuck in this place spiritually. And I remember seeing my mom, we're at home on vacation and I see my mom, she's just in the Word every single night. And I'm like, man, I want to have what she has. and so I'm, I, I go to talk to her about it. I had to acknowledge that I was just kind of in a stuck spot, and I'll never forget this. She said, you know, Dave, when I was your age, I was struggling spiritually. And she said, I just started asking God to give me a hunger for himself. And I'm like, what do you, what do, you, what do, you do this morning if you don't want Jesus? What do you do this morning if you're not hungry? You, you acknowledge it, and then you just ask him, hey, make me hungry, Jesus says, Whoever hungers and thirsts for righteous, righteousness, they'll be what? Somebody shout it out. They will be, they'll be filled. Hunger precedes the filling. And some of you are going, I'm not even hungry. You go, ask for the hunger. Acknowledge your spiritual poverty. Ask for the hunger. Number three, resist the temptation to fill that hunger with lesser things. Every night, Sydney's gonna cook a great meal. And I know when I get home from work, there's gonna be a great meal. And it doesn't matter how great that meal is. If I stop on the way home and I get McDonald's, I'm not gonna be hungry for the feast. God begins to stir this hunger up in us. And guys, we have to resist the temptation to satisfy that hunger by binging a thousand different things that they're not inherently bad in and of themselves, but they dull our hunger for the things of heaven. It's always easier to watch another episode of that show or to think again about how you want to remodel the kitchen in your house or to, to put in a few more hours of work. It's always easier to give ourselves to those things. But I'm telling you, if, if you train your soul to feast on the junk food of our age, you will numb your senses to the hunger for heaven you acknowledge your poverty, you ask for hunger, you resist the temptation to feast on the junk food of age. Number four, and then you begin to calibrate the taste buds of your soul for eternal things. I love Colossians chapter three. He says, hey, if you really wanna walk with God, there's some things that you have to set aside. He goes, but then there's some some things that you have to begin fixing your mind on, thinking about. When's the last time in your friend group you guys just spontaneously started talking about the future kingdom of God? Start talking about the things of heaven. When's the last time you started just dwelling on how amazing it will be to have Christ physically in our midst? See, Paul says it's not just about what we let go of. It's about what we choose to look to, who we look to, what we set our hearts on. You acknowledge your poverty. You ask for hunger. You resist the temptation to, to satisfy that hunger with lesser things. You calibrate your soul to the taste buds of heaven. And the last but not least, I'll just give you one more You literally, consistently, without fail, just keep welcoming Jesus in every part of your life. Some of you today, it's just literally hitting your knees. Jesus, I welcome you into my marriage. Jesus, I welcome you into my finances. Jesus, I welcome you into my work. Jesus, I welcome you into this struggle that I have with this addiction. Jesus, I welcome you into my children's life. I welcome you into our campus, whatever the thing. Jesus, I welcome you, I welcome you, I welcome you. Why? Because Jesus loves to show up wherever he's welcome. The first day of our sabbatical a month ago, Sidney and I went to hang out with one of our mentors, just an amazing guy. He's 50 years older than us. So many things that I've learned from him. But I remember years ago being in a room with him, he said, Dave, the longing of my heart is that whenever I walk into a room that I would love Jesus more than anybody else in that room loves Jesus. And I'm like, dude, that's kind of a weird thing to be competitive about. <laughs> but he said it, and I thought, you know, it, well, what an aim. That Jesus would walk in and go, man, they're, they're crazy about me. That we long for them. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do this morning as we wrap this series, as we get ready to come into the next season. We're just gonna pray for a supernatural outpouring of desire. That God would pour desire out on our church. Here in a few moments, There's communion, it's around the room. I wanna encourage you, when you get the bread and you get the cup, when you come back, as you are reflecting on the unbelievable sacrifice of Jesus, the blessings of Jesus, of forgiveness, of hope, of life, as you're reflecting on all of that, if in community, if you would just pray together, God, would you fill us with a hunger as we're taking the bread, as we're taking the cup, help us to long for you more. Pray for our church. There'll be some men and women that respond, and we'd love to pray over you. I want to encourage some of you, even before you go to communion today, before we stand up and sing, maybe you just need to get on your knees and acknowledge your spiritual poverty before the Lord. Maybe you need to get a group of friends and to pray for a blessing. And here's what, or pray for an outpouring of desire, not just the blessing, but the blesser. I wanna encourage all of us as we're worshiping today, we're gonna end with a couple of songs after communion. Can we please not just stand and sing, but literally as we're worshiping God, can we just collectively cry out that God would fill our church with a fresh wave of spiritual hunger? Just pray that that God would move us um, in desire. So let's stand together, I wanna pray over us. And then we're gonna go to the table and receive together. Man, I love you. I love getting to be in this together. I believe God has so much more. So much more he wants to stir up. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that your blessings are unlimited and your presence is available to all. Uh, God, it just starts in this place of desire. Would you stir up desire in us? God, would you unleash a fresh outpouring of spiritual hunger not just on ethos church but on the church of jesus across the whole city god right now in every church every pew every seat in an elementary classroom every every house church every little place across the city would there be this supernatural miraculous outpouring of your holy spirit in unexpected places would people be surprised by the power and the presence of god amongst them God, there'd be this cry in our heart from Ethos Church where we just go, Jesus, we want you more than anything. May we we join in concert with you, Holy Spirit, as we just say, come, Jesus, come. Uh, Expose our sin, expose our weakness, expose our brokenness, strengthen us, show us. Show us yourself, God, give us Give us this hunger, God, for those whose hearts this morning feel cold and they go, I don't want Jesus that way. God, would you just start by giving them the want to want? In the name of Jesus, I just cast out any spirit of condemnation. Any person that sat here and heard this and went, man, I don't fit the bill. If there's air in your lungs, you fit the bill. God, fill those lungs with a cry for Jesus. Fill that heart with a cry for Jesus. Knock the dust off of our stale, southeastern, anemic, cultural Christianity that grips so many of us in this region, God. And give us undivided hearts, undivided attention for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, may you find in us a people that want you more than anything. Lord, would you stir that up. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Hey, I love you. Let's receive communion together. The body and the blood of Christ on the tables. Come back, get in groups, pray. Come receive prayer at the respond banner. Get groups of friends together around the room. You don't have to stay in your seat. Just seek the face of God together So we get ready to wrap up our time. Love you, Ethos.